As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show and our preview of World Cup Group C. The headline act in this group is the Albi Celeste. Argentina are in superb form and they happen to be blessed with a man who only needs one trophy to complete his soccer quest. Joining them, a nation that only needs to cross one border, a nation that many in the West believe is completely out of order. On the field, could Saudi Arabia really pose a threat? Well, I for one probably won't take that bet. Our CONCACAF buddies Mexico have made the knockouts seven times in a row and Tata Martino's side will be looking to put on a good show. But standing in their way this time, who could it be? Well, it's Poland and their talisman, Robert Lewandowski. Mm. Group C could be a thrill and who better to assess than them good old boys who call themselves TSS. Yay! Oh, My name's so good. Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who probably doesn't love being referred to as a good old boy taylor rockwell hello <laughs> hello uh yeah it's not my favorite it's not my favorite how about just a good boy now that's weirder um, good boy yeah, taylor can, good, good boy. boy you can have a cookie if you do well in this show is that what you want to hear it do you actually mean a cookie or do you mean whatever the english eat that aren't cookies but are something else <laughs> Okay, Dust. I don't know how it works. Are cookies cookies where you are? I don't know what a biscuit is for you. I know what a biscuit is for me. It's delicious. And for you, it's like hard tack. So uh, I'm a little <laughs> um, bit skeptical of your cookie offer. We have cookies, but that's like um, cookie is a very specific kind yes. of biscuit. Like an Oreo is a cookie, right? And I, and I will have trash talk about many British things, but our biscuits, I will not stand for that. Okay. Taylor Rockwell. And biscuits but. are not biscuits. They're scones in England. It's very confusing. When pop, <laughs> it's not, when, it's not, Graham, I just want to be really clear. It's not trash talk. It's just a statement of fact that y- what you call a biscuit isn't a biscuit. Yeah. And what you call a biscuit is terrible. Oh. <laughs> no. No, Graham. Come on. I'm, I, Graham, I'm going to call the U.S. Embassy and cancel your visa. Uh, you, you're not allowed to come to this country anymore. Goodness, uh, no. like that. Um, true story. When Popeyes, Popeyes has started coming to the U.K. and they had biscuits on the menu, and I was reading an article recently that said they couldn't sell them because people didn't understand what they were. 
because they are scones in the UK. We're going off track. Graham, you are, are the we? man who is known as El Pastelero in Mexico. Is that true? That's uh, the pie man, according to my... That's <laughs> okay. I, I was going to ask for the translation. Yes, I will very much take that. I feel like that is that is quite apt. Yes. <laughs> El Pastelero from here on forth. I'm going to get that on the back of a shirt and I'm going to wear it to Sterling Albion games. <laughs> so you should. And here, of course, uh, is a man who gets to talk about Poland in great detail today. Joe Lowry, how excited are you? I'm so excited. I, I'm not, I'm not, Ryan, I'm not going to lie. I'm not that excited. <laughs> yeah. I'd rather talk about biscuits instead. But you know what? I go with the wisdom of the crowd if they want me yeah. to talk about Poland to talk about Poland. Joe, are are you as dumbfounded as I am by Graham's admission that he doesn't like an American biscuit? I, I like I don't know what to do with that. I, right, so I, maybe I've just had bad biscuits, but in my experience, they're dry and tasteless. That is my experience of American best American biscuits. Yeah, you probably haven't had a place? great biscuit. They, I mean, they can be dry. I feel like there's a fine line, um, but they should taste salty and buttery and kind of flaky and delicious. So if it didn't taste mm-hmm. like that, then yeah, you, you didn't have no, a good it didn't. one. Okay. Okay. They should be the thing on your plate with the most calories in them. That's yes. what they should be. Agreed. Oh, well, Every like other layer is butter, basically, if you think about it that way. There's really no way it could be bad. Okay, in go. theory, I'm a fan. But in practice, I've had a different experience. All right. Well, maybe we'll get you a biscuit or two for our live show, Graham, in Brooklyn, New York on November 20th. Link to the tickets in the description, listener. Do join us there. We're going to have a lot of fun. We'll have a drink with you in the bar afterwards, too. There are a few tickets remaining. Please get in there while you can. We'll have a lot of fun at that show. But for now... Group C, uh, I'm going to be talking about Argentina, the two-time champions, the four-time finalists, the reigning Copper America champs. Taylor Rockwell, you're going to be talking about Saudi Arabia in their sixth World Cup. Uh, El Pastelero, yep. you're going to be talking about Mexico, um, <laughs> who were in the, as I mentioned in the intro, their seventh round of 16 appearance. No, they're aiming for their eighth round of 16 appearance in a row, mm-hmm. I believe. And they've gone out of their stage every single time. Very impressive for them. And Joe, Poland. Cool. Yeah? Great. Yeah, Poland. Yay! All right. I'm going to start off with Argentina and talk about their nicknames, and I'm going to assign them a TSS name to get a sense of their being. Um, So their nickname, obviously, as I mentioned, is the Albi Celeste, which is the white and light blue, which relates to their shirt color. I'm going to be calling them, excuse me, Spanish speakers, Los Ganadores en Espera, the winners in waiting is what I'm calling Argentina. Ooh. I'm going bold. This is a tournament with no clear favorite. I think Argentina have as I'm good... I'm so a- excited to find out what you actually call them. <laughs> I'm assuming that's a Google <laughs> Translate, and I hope that was like the champions of time or something. Yeah. Something that doesn't quite literally translate. I'm really stoked The Falkland that. Islands are ours. No, I'm not going to go that direction. Um, <laughs> oh, the, that is an earnest translation. Um, there's no clear tra- um, favorite in this tournament, as I was saying. I think... They, this isn't the strongest Argentina team we've even seen in, in, in a few years, arguably, but they are full of confidence. They're in very hot form. No European side is completely convincing at this moment, I will contest. Uh, they have beaten the European team in Italy in the Fenelisma earlier this year as well. I think it's them, them and Brazil who would meet in the semis if they both won their groups. And also FIFA 23, the video game from EA Sports, predicted Argentina would win this game through a simulation. That's all the proof I need. Although they also did predict Brazil would win uh, in 2014. So, yeah. yeah. Knowing the FIFA simulations, it's like Argentina beating Crystal Palace in the final somehow. <laughs> I think you mean the Chicago Fire, Taylor? Is My what mistake. You to say? My mistake. <laughs> Taylor, Saudi Arabia's <laughs> nickname and the t- uh, the uh, name you're assigning to them. And I'll, sure. I'll um, 
prefaces <laughs> by saying... Did we ask Taylor to give Saudi Arabia a TSS nickname in a oh World boy, Cup preview? Yeah, yeah. Oh, Five trucks on standby. Go? Um, but <laughs> I, I, I will say, I believe by the betting odds, they are the worst team in this tournament, Taylor. I mean, uh, who cares about betting odds when you're the Green Falcons or the Arabian <laughs> Falcons or the Green Men, which makes me think of images Philly. of Charlie Kelly and the Green Men. Indeed, suit. yeah. I doubt that's who they're named after. Uh, but yeah, the Green Falcons tends to be the consensus one. But I am giving them the nickname The Homebodies, uh, similar to Joe in talking about Qatar. Uh, Saudi are bringing an entirely domestic squad. They all play in the domestic league. Thirteen of their players will likely come from Al-Halal. Another eight will come from Al-Nasser, most likely. Likely. That is, we still don't have their official squad, uh, but also because they are much better when they play at home. Uh, in their final qualifying round, they topped their group and woke up qualifying, played 10 games, five wins at home on the road, two wins, two draws, one loss. So very good playing at home on the road. They, they have some difficulty. And I would add that if you are staying at home, if you are a homebody, you might not be living the most like extravagant, flashy lifestyle. And with that in mind, Saudi Arabia have not scored two or more goals in over a year. They haven't scored two or more goals against a team in the FIFA Top 100 in over two years. So not a ton of goals being scored, not a ton of goals being conceded either. More on that later. Uh, but Better at home than on the road, I'm calling them the homebodies, especially because they're bringing so many domestic players to this World Cup. Ah, useful for a tournament that is not in their home. Yes, and on that note, I've seen a few people suggest that, like, yeah, but it's in Qatar, it's a neighboring country, there'll be some support for them, which feels vaguely racist mm. to just assume that, like, ah, they're the same, yeah. uh, but also didn't have diplomatic relations yeah. at all until about a year and a half ago. Yeah. So there was I a trade say, between those yeah, countries. They, they literally dug a ditch so that people could not cross between yeah. the two countries. Uh, I think that ditch has since been filled in. They have normal relations, embassies restored, but there is not a ton of love between these two historically. So I don't know how much loyalty there will be to Saudi Arabia in and, Qatar during this tournament. And for context, when I was in Brazil for 2014, there was a lot of Argentinians there because they drove over the border, as many mm -hmm. did. They had camper vans all up the uh, Copacabana. It was crazy. Um, but for context, even coming from the UAE, the United Arab Emirates from the other side, you can't even bring a car in to Qatar. You have to park it at the border and take a shuttle in. So um, I parking don't. Right. I'm not sure that yeah the parking ride exactly. So I'm not sure the Saudis are going to be there in. Great numbers, but we shall see. I could be quite wrong there. Graham. Uh, El Pastelero, sorry. Uh, your nickname <laughs> for uh, uh, the Mexicans. So El Tri is the, the nickname Mexico go by, and it's one of the few national team nicknames that actually gets used by, by fans. Obviously, the reference is to the tricolor of the, the Mexican flag, green, white, and red. And that is almost always the, the color of the Mexican kits as well, which, by the way, are fantastic for this World Cup. It's between Mexico and Japan, I think, for the best home and away shirt combo. So keep an eye out for those. I was reading that 69 different languages are spoken in Mexico, which is more than in any other country. So uh, I guess it's, it's just as well they have a, a straightforward nickname that everyone understands. My total soccer show nickname for Mexico might, might be a little bit spicy, but it's the underachievers. I don't want to cause an international incident here, an American podcast talking about the Mexican national team and calling them underachievers. So I'll add some context to that. So Mexico is one of the, the top 10 most populous nations on earth. And within that top 10, you would say probably only Brazil and Nigeria are bigger countries that have soccer as their first choice sport. By almost every measure, 
Mexico should be a World Cup superpower in that they've they've been at World Cups for decades going back. It's part of an ingrained part of their culture. They've got uh, a huge number of of big clubs, and yet they and obviously they've produced very good players in the past as well. And yet somehow they haven't enjoyed much success at the World Cup. As you say, Ryan, this will be the eighth time, the eighth successive World Cup that they have been at. They haven't made it past the last 16. They haven't made it past the quarterfinals, I think, since 1986. So maybe this is the year that that, that, that changes, but uh, probably not. I'll explain a little bit more about that later on. All right. And uh, Mexico being the over, uh, the underachievers, I, in the previous episode, I called Wales the underachievers. Can you imagine if they met the achievers axis achieved in that game, Graham. Mm, yeah, maybe that's another nickname then. Mexico are anti-Wales. <laughs> the anti-Wales. I like that a lot. The anti Japan's. Yeah, what's the opposite of a dragon? Uh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Joe, Poland. Okay, so Poland's nickname, uh, they have two. The first is Bialo Cervoni, which is the white and red. That sounded very Italian. That was not my intention. Hey, Either yeah, way, yeah. we got there. And then the Orli, which is the Eagles. My TSS nickname is is this. Ryan Bailey's favorite team that isn't named England is what is what I'm calling Poland because, Ryan, I know you talked about AFC Wimbledon in the last World Cup preview episode that we did, but today we're talking Charlotte FC because Charlotte FC has two players on Poland's provisional roster, Karol Swiderski, who I do think will make the World Cup squad, and Kamil Jozwiak, who I don't think is very good at all and probably will not make the Poland squad. So that's my nickname for this team. Either way, Ryan, they're Charlotte FC ties. Ryan Bailey's team, favorite team that isn't named England, I am giving Poland that official title, and you can't change it. I love it. Uh, Charlotte also has Jan Sobaczynski, who is Polish, but um, has played in the youth ranks. Not good enough for this squad, I guess, Joe. (laughs) Oh, I guess not. All right. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's talk about the story of each of these respective teams. Uh, I'm going to start off with Argentina, who've been pretty darn good, as I mentioned, in the run-up to this tournament. They won the most recent Copper America. That was their first major title for 28 years, beating Brazil in the final at the Maracanã, which is quite a statement to make uh, for this uh, beating their fiercest rival in their stadium. They are unbeaten in 35 games as well. That is too short of the record set by Roberto Mancini's Italy between 2018 and 2021. Their last four results have been a 3-0, a 3-0, a 5-0 and a 3-0, including that aforementioned finalissima against Italy, the champions of Europe taking on the champions of South America. So um, scoring lots of goals and not conceding goals lately is their MO. Uh, They've got a friendly, by the way, next week booked with the aforementioned UAE, the United Arab Emirates as well. So they're going to get another run out, which uh, not many teams are doing. They qualify comfortably, second place to Brazil in Condabol qualification. And that's quite good for Argentina, who, if you follow them, they don't always make it easy in qualification. In fact, they can be perilous sometimes for them, but uh, pretty straightforward on this one. Uh, They're a well-oiled machine. They're a good team. They are strong all across the board. Perhaps one of the concerns, which we can dig into later, is that they've had very few European opponents due to the UEFA Nations League, due to um, other federations doing their respective Nations League. They tend not to play outside of the continent uh, or or at least not play in Europe. In that 35-game unbeaten record, they've only played three European teams, Italy and also Estonia was in that run as well. So maybe not an awful lot learned from that. So will that be a stumbling point for them? I don't think so, but we'll get into that later as well. Taylor, the story of Saudi Arabia, please. Yes, sir. Uh, Saudi Arabia back in the World Cup for the uh, second consecutive 
tournament, uh, and they have been to World Cups previously, uh, 94, 98, 2002, 2006. Then there's a break, and then there's 2018. In 2018, they do get a win over Egypt on the final match day, so uh, one win in that one, and they will be hoping to improve upon that this time round. Uh, whether or not they will be able to do that, I am less confident in. So let's talk a bit about the story heading into this tournament. Their initial nickname for me was going to be Thanos' Dagger, which feels incredibly nerdy, but also appropriate. And I'll explain it in a second. Uh, because after that 2018 World Cup, they go and play in the 2019 Golf Cup. They finished second in that one to Bahrain. And you might think like runners up in that tournament isn't so bad. But when you look at the quality of opposition, it definitely feels like after uh, being knocked out in the group stages, then finishing second in that tournament, that things are trending in a negative direction. The start of World Cup qualifying further justifies that. They pick up a draw uh, in their first game. And that's when they decide to part ways with manager Juan Antonio Pizzi. Uh, and in comes Hervé Renard. Uh, I'm going to talk more about him later on. Uh, the the most handsome man, the most Jimmy wandering Lannister. man of Africa now uh, moved to the Middle East. What was that, Graham? Jamie Lannister. Yes, very Jamie Lannister looking. You are not wrong. Uh, and whereas Gareth Southgate has that top button unbuttoned, every Renard is down to like the third button unbuttoned on that shirt always. And that's a good look for him. Nice. Uh, and uh, this move has been uh, good for him. As I said, they have success in qualifying, uh, seven wins, two draws, one loss. Again, better on, uh, better at home than on the road. But Renard, uh, in contrast to Pizzi and other managers, uh, living in Saudi Arabia, attending games, seems to have kind of uh, embraced coaching there and so is, is part of that team and I think is trying to build a very harmonious squad, a very unified squad. They have had an extended camp to make that happen. Uh, the league, I believe, is on hiatus so that players could go play uh, a number of friendlies uh, so that they can have uh, or like as much preparation as possible. The question that I have is if that is necessarily helping them. And this is where the Thanos' dagger things come in, because he's all about the perfect balance. And they are very balanced in that they don't score goals and they don't concede goals. They had the joint most clean sheets in all of AFC qualifying, but they had very few goals scored, I think 12 over those 10 games. Not really electric in attack. And in some of the friendlies they've played against theoretically stronger opponents, Colombia, Venezuela, USA, and Ecuador, zero goals scored in those games. So they have all these domestic players that have a ton of familiarity have played against each other with each other but at the same time when they're playing against stronger opposition away from home it seems like they aren't quite like overwhelmed by the situation but they try to play the same style and it's like a championship team getting promoted to the Premier League and trying to play expansive football you might have been able to get away with that in the championship when you try to do that against better opponents it can be a problem, and so that then means that they play more defensive, they sit a little bit deeper, and that goes against what they've been working on. So there have been some changes. Uh, they've experimented with formation changes. Again, I'll talk about that when I talk about the manager, but I think that's what makes them sort of interesting in this one, is that they they might be very defensive and frustrate and then counterattack, but they might also try to open things up a little bit, and I think they can do that. I don't think it's what they're best at, but I think they're going to try to be slightly more expansive in this tournament than they were last time. I think they have more talent this time round, uh, as we've talked about with other teams, but whether or not they're able to actually turn that into results, I think will be very interesting to keep an eye on. Yeah, don't think they will. Um, El Pastelero, Mexico, their story. <laughs> so on the face of things, Mexico's qualification for this World Cup 
was a rather smooth process, I stress, on the face of things, okay? So if you looked at the final octagonal table, or whatever we ended up calling that, the Ocho or, or whatever it was, uh, Metscore there in second place. Joint on points with Canada, who finished top of that table, and ahead of the United States, even though the United States, you know, had a, a beat Mexico, seemed to have the better of that ri- rivalry in the end, Mexico finished ahead of the United States. But that doesn't tell the full story of Mexico's qualification campaign, and, and generally it doesn't tell the full story of this team. At the moment, the, the campaign was pretty fraught. It wasn't exactly an enjoyable experience. The, the biggest problem for Mexico is that they, they seem to have lost the connection with their fans, which is, is, is a big problem for a national team that usually uses that connection to their benefit. Um, I should mention that 40,000 Mexico fans will, will still be in Qatar, which is one of the, the largest supports for any of the national teams involved. But the usual strength of support, it feels like it won't be there because of the way Mexico have played under Tato Martino, Tato Martino and, and I'll come on to talk about him a little bit later. Um, this is a hugely inconsistent team. It's generally an ageing team as well. Yes, they are still capable of great moments and, and good results. And obviously they, they ground out the results that they needed in the qualification campaign to get to this World Cup. But they do suffer from frequent dips. And even within the 90 minutes of a match, they, they can go up and down within that 90 minutes. And, minutes and, and they're just very inconsistent. It's a word that I'll probably use more than once when talking about this Mexico team. Um, I've already spoken a little bit about their World Cup record. So this will, this will be their eighth straight appearance at the World Cup finals. Um, they've made it out of the group stage in each of the, the previous seven, but they've never made it past the last 16. They've never made it past the, the quarterfinals in, in, in general at any World Cup. And they talk about Quinto Partido, which is the, the fifth game and their inability to burst through that that grass that glass ceiling a grass ceiling is something very different glass <laughs> ceiling and uh, this is that this is the pressure that is on every Mexico team at the World Cup they want to make it past the fifth game um, and I would say at this particular tournament that doesn't seem very likely but nonetheless that is the the, the expectation the pressure that will be on Tata Martino and his players a grass ceiling, by the way, Graham, is technically what I have in the house I live in in Rome. Our landlord's house is above ours, and his lawn is our roof, if that makes sense. So when it rains, our house gets very moldy. It's, I don't recommend it. A glass ceiling would be much better. Mm. I mean, Rome wasn't built in a day, and it, fe- it feels like it's maybe unfinished. Uh, yeah, and it's falling. Oh, I'm not going to get into that. It's, yeah, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, uh, Poland, their story. Ryan, Poland's story is one of change in some ways and stability in others. So change in that they have a new manager, which we'll talk about later on in this episode. Some of the same stuff, though, is that it's a lot of players who are here from past teams, right? It's names that people are going to know. Robert Lewandowski being the headliner there, but some others as well, right? Krakowiak, Zielinski, Glick, Chesney. I mean, it's a lot of names that have been around the soccer landscape for quite some time. And one other thing that's the same is the goal. The goal is to get out of the group. It's, it's been stated as much from the Polish camp. They have not done that since 1986. So it's been a while since Poland uh, appeared in a knockout round at a World Cup. They have a real chance to do that this year. They're 23rd in the ELO ratings, which is one slot ahead of the U.S. and one slot behind Mexico, who are in their group. So they are third based off of ELO ratings in terms of the, the other teams in this group. But they are, they are just behind Mexico in that particular ranking. To recap Poland's World Cup qualifying path, because it was a bit unique, they were second in their UEFA group behind England in in World Cup qualifying. That got them to the playoff, where they were scheduled to play Russia. Russia was then disqualified because they invaded another nation. They skipped past Russia then because they they didn't have to play them. They ended up playing a a friendly against Scotland instead. 
they then beat Sweden in the, the final round and qualify into Group C at the World Cup. So it has been a bit of a wild ride for Poland. Again, some things are different. Th- some things are the same. I think when you watch this team, it's going to look like they're pretty much the exact same team they've been for quite some time. But again, we'll talk about the tactical stuff later. And let's do that, Joe, after this quick break. We're going to talk about the tactics, uh, the managers, and the rosters, and much more when we come back. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Total Soccer Show. Welcome back to our World Cup Group C preview. Let's talk a little bit about the managers and the tactics. I'm going to kick things off with Argentina, whose manager is Lionel Scaloni, who was George Ampaoli's assistant. Um, and his spell with Argentina didn't go super well, I suppose you could argue. Uh, they underperformed in 2018 with their last 16 exit. Scaloni is interesting because he's a relative unknown in the international management uh, game, relatively untested too. He's only ever been an assistant before taking this job. He was an assistant at Sevilla before coming into the Argentina setup as well. Uh, And as a player, he got seven national caps. He was a wing-back at Lazio, at Atalanta, at Deportivo La Coruña, and he went on loan to West Ham for a few games as well. Now, it's quite amusing. If you Google La Scaloneta, um, there'll have there'll be pictures of Scaloni driving a bus with all the players with him. So La Scalonetta is a kind of bus and uh, it's a play on his name, Scaloni. And yeah, he's driving them to success is the idea there. Um, so he kind of, uh, as you're probably aware, as Argentina have done for a while, a 4-3-3, very free-flowing, lots of fluidity, playing to their creative players' strengths, essentially. Very possession-based. They do seek controlling games. They've got fullbacks with attacking roles, which is something we mentioned on the last show. This is something that Argentina like to do as well. And uh, Lionel Messi and Angel Diamaria drifting in from those wide areas. I've seen them described as false wingers, which is something that sounds too technical for me to get into, but maybe Joe can comment on. Um, they want to create lots of midfield overloads. They like to have that numerical superiority around the ball, particularly in midfield. So it's a lot about players dropping deep and, as I say, keeping things quite free and fluid to create lots of passing lanes, to keep things uh, nice and easy and to basically overwhelm the opposition, which I think they're going to do in this group reasonably comfortably. So that's a very quick pre of Scaloni and the way he's got this thing set up. I'll get into the roster and everything else later on. But Taylor, I'll jump to you for a similar outlook on the Saudis. Mm. Yeah, here is my very quick summary of of the Saudis, and then I will try to explain it because it probably sounds like an insult. I don't think they are good enough to beat like most of the teams in this group on their own. But I think if these teams come in taking them lightly or have a down game, they are absolutely the Saudis capable of winning games. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with Hervé Renard coming in, the 50-year-old French manager, previously with uh, Zambia, Angola, Zambia again, Ivory Coast, Morocco, Saudi Arabia. So he's got tons of international experience, and he is the longest tenured manager 
in Saudi Arabia's history. He's been there for three years. They have a lot of flux, does that program. But he's been there. As I said, he's living there. He's attending Gabe's. Under that stability, they've seen a lot of success. They've gone from 70th to 51st in the FIFA World Rankings. They're making consecutive World Cup appearances for the first time since 2006. Um, and I think this has been their, their most successful qualifying campaign ever. They topped their group in the final round of qualifying. So lots of reasons for optimism, but there has been that lack of goals to them. Uh, they've been setting up in a 4-2-3-1. That's mostly what they played in qualifying. They've recently been trying more of a 4-3-3. We saw them do that against the United States. In terms of the tactics... They will play short from goal kicks, but when they come under more pressure, they don't really back themselves to play out of that one. They will end up going long. They look for big switches from one fullback to the wide attacker or from one fullback to the wide attacker. Uh, and then uh, will play sort of down those channels with a directness. And this is what I meant in the beginning of this, that like looking at that U.S. game for a moment, I went back and watched that one and seeing how they created opportunities, certainly, but so many of them were the U.S., giving the ball away cheaply, and then Saudi Arabia pounced. Or the U.S. fails to step, and Saudi Arabia gets away a dangerous shot. They have the ability to make those mistakes count, but if you don't give them the, those opportunities, if you are tidy in possession and you take your chances well, that's where I think Saudi Arabia will struggle. If they go down 1-0 to a team that's kind of on the front foot, I don't think they are as capable of getting back into it as they are if it's nil-nil and the opponent starts to get a little bit stretched in the 60th minute. Um, they will usually look for uh, their target man, Al-Burakain, up top, uh, Firas Al-Burakain, uh, and he... He's good in front of goal. I wouldn't say he's a clinical finisher, but he, uh, Saudi Arabia had the best chance conversion rate of any AFC team in qualifying. Uh, and they did not have, uh, a particularly great campaign when it came to shots, expected goals, uh, build up and attacks, direct attacks, anything like that, all fourth or fifth, but first in chance creation, which means that again, if you give them those opportunities, they will take them and take them well. Very nice. Uh, El Pastelero, Mexico, please. So Tata Martino, I've obviously mentioned him uh, a couple times already. He is the, the current Mexico manager and obviously he's someone who is very familiar to MLS fans as a, a former Atlet Atlanta United head coach and also to fans all around the world as, as a, a former Argentina and Barcelona manager. So this is a, a guy with pretty significant pedigree. I'll be honest, I thought Martino was uh, an excellent appointment for Mexico when they hired him back in 2019. Mexico and the US, they were looking for new managers at roughly the same time. And if I cast my mind back to 2019, 2018, around about that time, I actually thought the US should have gone all out for, for, for Martino. I'm, I'm still not sure. Uh, obviously, things, as I'll, I'll come on to explain, haven't they, they haven't really gone as well for Martino as, as many would have hoped. I'm still not sure the US got the better end of that, that bargain there because we all know there are some doubts about uh, Berhalter as well. But I'm getting off topic a little bit. Martino has faced a lot of criticism as Mexico manager. Um, they might have finished qual uh, sec sorry, they might have qualified second in CONCACAF, but so many of their wins were wildly uninspiring affairs. They're not playing good football under Martino at the moment, and that's something that Mexico fans expect. They expect a certain entertainment factor, and there's just no sign that that is there at the moment. In terms of how they play and what their tactics will be at the World Cup, the, the, the discussion is rather similar to, to the one around the US in that there's a, a set of principles that Mexico want to play by, 
but whether they actually will play by those principles is, is another matter entirely. So I'm going to set out what those principles are and what Martino wants his team to play like. So he'll set them up in a 4-3-3. That is pretty much certain. The shape that it's the shape that he has he's used all the way through qualifying. And basically, Mexico will look to dominate possession. Um, they did have the, the highest share of possession in CONCACAF qualifying, so there is some evidence that they will see the ball. They'll look to dictate the tempo of the game when they have the ball. And they want to counter-press aggressively when they don't. The, the problem that they have experienced over the last few uh, years under Martino is that they don't always translate that possession into goal-scoring chances. Um, they don't always do well against low defensive blocks and it can, it can all be a little bit laboured in the final third, which is disappointing given how much attacking talent that they have. Um, defensively, Mexico have an excellent record where they, they, they conceded just eight times in 14 games. And that is the plus side of obviously them keeping the ball. Um, they are defensively solid through their, their use of possession, but they uh, they are a quite a stodgy attacking team under Tata Martino. And on the basis of what we've seen over the last three years of him being in charge, I, I don't think that's going to change at the World Cup. Okay, and finally, Joe, um, I know on Poland and their setup and how things change under the new manager, uh, well, new manager for this year at least. Yeah, okay, so the new manager is Czeslaw Michniewicz, who's a 52-year-old Polish coach. He's managed in Poland for a long, long time. He managed Legia Warsaw from 2020 to October of 2021 when he was fired after four straight defeats and, and Warsaw was down pretty far in the table in Poland. He was hired by Poland in January of this year after Paulo Sousa left to coach Flamengo in Brazil. So that was just three months before Poland's first World Cup qualification playoff game was supposed to be against Russia that I talked about earlier. So Michniewicz had his first game against Scotland instead. So Poland beats Sweden a little bit after that to qualify for the World Cup. Things are going well under Michniewicz. To me, this team does not look very different from the one that we saw under Sousa at the Euros and teams we've seen honestly, in the more recent past for Poland. It's usually a three-man back line. They've only had, and there haven't been a lot of games under Mechniewicz, but they've only had more than 48 possession, 48% possession once. Only more than 48% possession once in the eight games under Cheslov. So they'll see possession to Argentina. They'll, they'll definitely see it to Mexico as well. They might have a bit more of it against Saudi Arabia, but they don't really like to press high. It's usually defending in a 5-3-2 or a 5-4-1, depending on the personnel, and whether it's a two-striker front with Lewandowski or, or if he's up top sort of by himself with maybe a number 10 or two wingers around him. I, I just don't think, and usually I get sucked into being excited about teams when I preview them. I just don't think that this is like a super good team, to be entirely honest. They, the wins under, under Cheslav have come against Sweden and Wales. Uh, they lost to or drew with Scotland, Belgium twice, and the Netherlands twice. So I expect them to defend a lot in this group. And that recipe of defending and Lewandowski on the break is not the worst recipe you can come up with, to be entirely honest. I expect them to do a lot of defending in this group. I think they will have some moments where they're causing teams problems. And I'll talk about some of the players that might do that later on. But they're not going to be the best team to watch unless you love watching Resolute Low Block. So for Burnley fans, this might be... Although that's a bad comparison now with Vincent Company. Never mind. If you're, like a, if you're a fan of a team that doesn't really have the ball, say Houston Dynamo, this might be the team for you. I don't know. I'm not super jazzed about this group, but maybe they'll pull something out under Mitch Nievich. So, Joe, where might we see Poland show a bit of flair? Will it be against a team like Argentina or more a team against Saudi Arabia? I suppose if they're maybe they won't be in as low a block against the Saudis. Yeah, I think they'll extend themselves more against Saudi Arabia, and that could be a good matchup for them. Or 
Ryan, maybe thinking about a game like Argentina where, you know, they're going to be dominated in terms of possession, in terms of field position. Maybe that's a chance for Poland to get out on the break, right? And they use their wing backs, they use uh, Zielinski and, and Lewandowski to create some some really nice moments on the break. That could be their flair in attack, even, even briefly. I, I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. I do know that they are going to be one of the more passive teams in this group, especially when they're drawn against someone like Argentina and Mexico. All right. Thank you very much, Joseph. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's dig in more to the rosters of these teams, the key players. And we're also going to get some VSPs, some very specific predictions. Back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our Group C preview for the 2022 World Cup. I'm going to dig right in and take a look at Argentina's roster. Um, it's a pretty good one. I'm going to summarize it that way. You've got a pretty deep squad. I would argue no real weak positions in this squad. They've got depth in almost every position, I would say. Um, the most depth, arguably, is in a little fella called Lionel Messi. La Pulga! as he, I believe he is known. Apologies for the Spanish pronunciation if that is inaccurate. He is 35 years old. This will be his fifth World Cup and almost certainly his last chance to become a World Cup champion and the best shot after 2014, of course, when he was a finalist. And he is coming into very, very good form in recent weeks for PSG. He's had some injury concerns, but it looks like he's going to be all good on that respect. I suppose the one question around Messi is whether he is the leader that the team needs is he the guy who's going to help you run through the brick wall you could argue he wasn't that in 2014 uh where he looked almost embarrassed to get his was it the best player or the top goal scorer award either way he got a, a an award at the final and looked a bit sheep uh, sheepish about it which is probably fair enough considering his um his input in the final uh but he as i say coming in in very good form and should be the one to lead this team um and also it's important to note, I suppose it's, it's interesting to note that he didn't win anything with this Argentina team until the age of 34 with the Copa America. You could count the Olympics, when, which he won as a teenager as well. But that is an interesting streak he's had. He's going to be hungrier than ever to get this. But a lot of strength in this team, regardless of Mr. Messi. Uh, the centre-back pairing is very strong here. And as, as I mentioned, they've got, kept a lot of clean sheets lately. So it's Nicolas Otamendi, who's been good with Benfica this season, and Christian Romero from Spurs, who performed a very good uh, combination with Otamendi. Um, 
Uh, he was he's he's one I've always thought is a really good player. He was great at Atalanta. He was on the books at Juve, who seemed to let him go and ignore him and send him out on loan for some reason. But uh, hey, uh, they've got some good fullback options as well with uh, Marcus Acuna at Sevilla, Sevilla, excuse me, or they could have Nicola Taliafico from Leon at left back. Uh, and on the other side, uh, Molina from Atletico Madrid is a great option there in the midfield, uh, keeping things likely in the middle. Will be uh, Leandro Paredes. Um, uh, and they've got Gio uh, Celso, who is at slight injury concern for this one, and Rodrigo De Paul most likely alongside him in midfield. And out front, they are a team that's known for having a spoil of forwards. They've got a pretty good batch here. I wouldn't say maybe, maybe they've been more spoiled in recent years, but alongside Messi, you've got so, uh, Angel Di Maria, you've got Latora Martinez, uh, Julian Alvarez from Man City, Papu Gomez, quite a few players who could be there. Now, there are some injury doubts. I've mentioned um, Di Maria, who got an injury in the Champions League last month. He, he, I, I, the squad, he's in the preliminary squad, I should say, but the actual squad hasn't been announced at the time of recording. So he'll be a vital creative outlet for Leo Messi. So it'll be interesting to see if he makes it to full fitness. Uh, Lo Celso also might be injured. I think uh, I saw some news. He might be looking at some surgery, in fact. So we'll see how that one pans out as well. Um, and I'm making it sound quite negative, saying it's not maybe not the strongest Argentina side of recent years and they have some injury issues. But this is a very good team and I expect them mm. to do nothing but dominate this group. Ryan, in terms of Messi's role for this team, so obviously you mentioned he's in good form and that is that is true. He's in excellent form for PSG this season, but Christophe Gaultier is kind of using him in a, in a slightly different role. Are we likely to see him play that role for Argentina at this World Cup or are Argentina going to look to him to be the guy that scores the goals, which is obviously the role, he's still scoring goals for PSG obviously, but his primary role for them is more of a creator. So what, what mm. kind of player is he going to be for Argentina at this World Cup? I that's a very good question, Graham. I see him not as the like the goal scorer. I don't think he's going to be a golden boot contender in this one. I think someone like Laura Martinez might end up with the bulk of Argentina's goals. I see him as a as a creator, as a supporter behind Martinez, as someone on the right to compliment Di Maria on the left, perhaps, and someone to attract attention from the other players. To be honest, when they're swarming him, he creates an outlet for Maria, uh, Di Maria, and vice versa. I suppose if that answers mm. the question at all. Yes, it does. It sounds a little bit like Argentina. I get what you're saying about the quality of the players. I look back to the, was it the 2006 World Cup where they had just a, a whole host of superstars mm. in that team? Maybe it was 2010. What was the one that Maradona was in charge for? Was that 2006? That was 2010. 2010, right. Yeah. So what I think it was the 2010 World Cup that they had like so many superstars. I get what you're saying. Maybe not so many superstars in this team, but it kind of feels like they've got more of a system yeah. rather than just giving the ball to Messi and hoping he comes up with something. That's Is that fair? Yeah, that's exactly right. Less less firepower, but much more cohesion, I'd say. They don't have a madman like Maradona in charge. That probably helps things, Graham, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, Taylor, let's talk about Saudi Arabia, if you will, and, and uh, mm-hmm. their roster. Any names we might know? Any, any key players to look out for? Uh, very unlikely, you know, uh, many Saudi names, uh, for this team, though it is more than a few who were there in 2018. So if you remember any of their key performers from last time, they are still around. It is a, a, a slightly like blended team. You've got some youngsters in there. Uh, Abdullah Radif of Al Tawun, uh, is 19 years old, but for the most part, you've got veterans in the late twenties, early thirties range. Uh, the issue there would be that some of those veterans have been injured of late. Uh, key players like Salman Al-Faraj, Yasser Al-Shafrani, Mohammed uh, Alawais, all recovering from injuries. The biggest one there would be Nasser Al-Dalsari. Uh, the Tornado, aka the Tornado, is 
is Aldo Sari. He's a 23-year-old right-footed midfielder for Al-Halal. Top score for the Saudis in qualifying was seven goals. Again, they didn't score that many, but he was critical in scoring the ones that they did. But he had appendix surgery in late September, is now rushing to get back because he takes all their set pieces. Uh, he scored nine of 11 penalties, so he's reliable there. He scored in the last World Cup. So he is a player they will need. So too are those other names I mentioned. In their absence, they've been playing younger players and giving some reps to those players. And so if you look at Saudi potential lineups, uh, if you're looking at team previews, you get two very different teams because you get one team that is all players who have 50 or more caps. And then because of those injuries and more recently playing the younger players, you get other teams that have a lot of players who have five and six caps in there. And maybe it will be a blend of those two things. I am more inclined to say that they will go with the the veterans at least early on, provided they can play. So Al Dalsari would be chief amongst them. He will likely be as a left winger if they're in a 4-3-3 or on the left side of the attack in a 4-2-3-1. Firas uh, Al-Burakain, I mentioned him earlier. He will be their number nine. Uh, he will be that, that sort of target man. He is their big outlet if they do try to go long, and he is uh, good enough in front of goal, if not lights out in front of goal. Fahad Al-Mualad uh, will be the other winger, and he is uh, pretty Tricky and very good, especially when it comes to combining with their attacking fullbacks. There's that trend. Uh, Yasser Al-Shahrani is their left back, uh, fitness, fitness, uh, provided. And then Sultan Al-Ghanam, uh, is their right back, who can also be a right winger. There's a lot of positional switching in this team, but both of them will be involved in the attack. Look for both of them, especially when they're breaking in counterattacks to, to get forward. That allows those wingers to, to move more centrally, where they will usually form a trio with Salman Al-Faraj, the 33-year-old, I believe he's 33, captain. Uh, he has been a key player for them in qualifying, played the second most minutes throughout, uh, netted the equalizer in the World Cup last time round versus Egypt in that win. So uh, I think if Salman Al-Faraj is there, they will be feeling very happy. If Nasser Al-Dasari is there, they will be feeling elated because those two players uh, can be the difference makers for Saudi Arabia, who again can be direct at times, but they can also be very tidy and patient in possession if you aren't pressing them. So if England were to sit off, excuse me, if Argentina were to sit off or if Poland isn't aggressive in the way they're playing, I think Saudi Arabia will take that and be comfortable on the ball. I think if you can make them uncomfortable, if you can press them or force them into corners, force them into channels, that's where they tend to go long and just try to get rid and don't really establish any rhythm. So I think disrupting their ability to have time on the ball is the best way to go about beating them. Because if you let them uh, take their opportunities, if you give them opportunities and you don't take your own, again, they can be a threat. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, Graham, uh, Mexico. Uh, we're, we're familiar with a lot of the roster, but mm-hmm. tell us about any of the, uh, the the key players in this one. So straight off the bat, Chucky Lozano, he'll be a key player for Mexico at this World Cup. He could be the key player for them. And he's obviously someone that we have spoken about once or twice uh, for Napoli this season. He's been in good form for them, along with every other attacker at that club right now. But Lozano, he's even more important for Mexico, where he basically is their primary source of creativity and goals and general threat in the final third. His whole game is about creating 1v1s or or 2v2s and driving opposition defenders to to either get past them or to get into a, a dangerous area where he can get a shot away or a pass away or something like that. The issue for Mexico is... They need to move the ball quickly to create those scenarios for Lozano. And they aren't always great at that. That's been one of the issues under Tata Martino, that that midfield 
can be a little bit slow and move the ball a little bit slowly and that in turn has a, a knock-on, a detrimental knock-on effect on, on Lozano and what he's able to do. But nonetheless, he when things are going well, he's a constant threat for Mexico. He's arguably their most consistent player as well. If you look at the stats, his expected goals, shots, touches in the box, they all rank in the 90th percentile or above in Serie A and that kind of gives you an idea of what he offers Mexico I mentioned a little bit uh, about the midfield there there will be a lot of strain on that Mexican midfield at this World Cup because of the demands Martino puts on them but Edson Alvarez is probably the best of the bunch that they have in that midfield unit he is an excellent anchor at the base of that midfield Um, I say can be a a, 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 a rather I should say he can be an excellent anchor at the base of the midfield because he has actually faced a a bit of criticism for some of his performances for Mexico and some fans say that he hasn't been as good for the national team as as he is for Ajax but when I when I watch this team in my research uh, for this it's it's just clear how important he is and when he's not there it feels like a much more fluid midfield, which maybe actually has a a, a a positive benefit in an attacking sense. But in terms of the structure of the team, I don't see any positive there at all. And it's not just that he's good at breaking up opposition moves. He very much, when he is breaking up opposition moves, he very much has that sort of Lissandro Martinez energy in terms of how he wins the ball back. There's a lot of tenacity there and he's just a bit of a nuisance to play against. But he's also very good with the ball at his feet. And if Mexico are going to get the ball quickly out to Lozano, if they can harness Alvarez, one of the threats is that if they double, if opposition team double up on him, then he can struggle in, in, in that sense. But if Mexico are going to get the ball quickly out to Lozano and Vega on the left as well, it's, it's probably going to be Alvarez who's playing those passes from deep. And I'm also going to highlight a defender because while Mexico don't really have any household names in that area, certainly not in a, in a global or certainly a European sense in terms of players playing for some of the big European clubs, um, it actually is a, a strength of theirs in defence. Um, there is, there is a, there is a bit of, disagreement over who will start in the back line because they do have a number of good options so Artiega could play at left back and he's having an excellent season for Genk in, in, in Belgium uh, Jorge Sanchez is, is, is he's not first team for Ajax but he's getting game time and then there's Julian Araujo of, of LA Galaxy fame as well but I'm going to highlight uh, Cesar Montes he is a, a centre back and it could be him sorry it could be Hector Moreno or uh, Nestor Araujo that plays alongside him but the common consensus is that Montez will be one of the starting central defenders and he is crucial to the way that Mexico like to play a high line and get their defenders to play out from the uh, from the back with the ball a common theme with this Mexico team is they want to do certain things they've got players who can do those certain things but whether they actually do it on the day is another thing, or even if they do it for the full 90 minutes, because as I said at, at, at the start, they do suffer from big dips. But if things go well for them, those are the key players that will make it happen. Wonderful stuff. Thank you, Graham. Uh, Joe, we're all aware that we're living in Chaos of Dursky's world and uh, uh, you know, he's the centre <laughs> of the universe. Uh, tell us about Poland and their key players who will be surrounding him. Yeah, so for folks who don't know, Karol Swiderski is one of the Charlotte FC players that you forgot about when I said earlier in the episode that he was a Charlotte FC player. (laughs) He's actually quite good. I think he's a very good number nine and could get minutes and maybe even a start for Poland at this tournament. He's not the key man. He's probably not one of the, the few at the top of this pecking order. Robert Lewandowski is the obvious one. He is one of the greatest strikers of all time to ever step foot on the planet. I know he gets dinged a bit because his TikToks are just that bad, but he is a brilliant, <laughs> brilliant soccer so player. He is one of the best players at this tournament. So he is someone to watch, and he is someone who can keep Poland in games. Piotr Zielinski is another one. I mentioned Zielinski earlier. 
plays for Napoli as a midfielder, attacker, hybrid-y kind of player. Usually is one of the eights for them in a 4-3-3. He's 28 years old. Uh, that, that's for Napoli, excuse me. For, for Poland, he plays in a more varied kind of role. He's 28. He creates shots for his teammates with really good progressive passes. Can also drive the ball forward out of midfield on the dribble. He's, he is kind of Poland's creative force higher up the field. If Lewandowski is the finisher, Zielinski and crosses, not just from him, but from literally everyone else on the team, are the things that create chances for Robert Lewandowski. Keep your eyes on him. He can be a difference maker. And the last player I wanted to highlight is Camille Glick, who will be most likely their central center back in the back three. 34 years old. He's been an anchor for Poland for quite some time now. He's six foot three. He is in Serie B right now with Benevetto. Uh, very good in the air. If not super mobile at 34, is like this, this giant in the air that if you're going to try to beat Poland... Their goal was to make you cross the ball into the box, and Glick's goal is to get rid of as many of those crosses as possible. I'm going to pause on Glick there because I'm coming back to him in my VSP, Ryan. Those are some key players to watch for for Poland. There is talent in this team, don't get me wrong. Uh, If all of those pieces are firing at their top level, this team could do some damage, uh, and, and we'll sort of see what that looks like. All right. Thank you, Joe. Let's close out this dog and pony show with our VSPs, our very specific predictions. I'll take the lead with Argentina at the risk of um, underestimating the opponents in Group C. My VSP is that Argentina are going to buy Munich this thing. And by that, I mean nine points, no goals conceded. Uh, I think in recent, this team is obviously known for its uh, attacking fortitude, but this team can defend very well as well as we've established. They've got a very good recent record of keeping clean sheets um, in in friendlies and in uh, in competitive games as well. I believe they are a cut above the rest of the teams in this uh, this group and no disrespect intended to the other teams, of course. But uh, Taylor, what do you think? A, 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 A Bayern Munich of this group, does that sound fair? It does. I, I feel like I always have a hard time believing that Argentina will put it together right away. I think a lot of that historically has to do with figuring out how to get the best out of Lionel Messi while still getting the best out of the team. But I do think, given the opposition they're facing, I, I think there's a very good chance that, yeah, they come away comfortably or at the very least, like secure qualifications such that they're not too worried about that final game. Uh, yeah, I think that's a pretty solid pick, Ryan. Thank you very much. And how about your pick, Taylor, for Saudi Arabia? Yeah, the exact same thing. I think that, no, uh, it is not. It, I, I don't know if they will get, uh, I don't think they will get out of this group. Uh, they could spring a surprise or two, but I do think that they will be uh, under the cosh, so to speak. Uh, so my specific prediction is that their goalkeeper, uh, Mohamed Al-Awais, who they did rely on many times in qualifying, uh, will have the most saves of any goalkeeper in the group stage of any team. Not just in this group, but of any group stage team. Uh, I think he will probably also face close to the most shots of anyone, but he did keep the most clean sheets in qualifying or joint most clean sheets. Uh, and I think Saudi Arabia have at times relied on him to keep things level. Uh, so he is a, a very capable goalkeeper, but I think he is going to be under fire in this group. So I think he has the most saves of any goalkeeper in the group stage. All right. Uh, El Pastelero, Mexico, VSP. So my very specific prediction for Mexico is that they will reach double figures for shots in only one of their three group stage games. So as already discussed, this is a team that doesn't really do a great job of creating chances from the possession that they have. Um, They've won just two of their last seven games. And I don't really think this pattern is going to change much at this World Cup. I do think there's a a good chance that they get out of this group. But as I say, I I think they'll be... uh, 
quite stodgy in attack, not really produced many shots. My other VSP is that Tata Martino gets sacked almost as soon as this tournament is over and Mexico are going to do an Aston Villa and sack them before they get on the bus back home. It's a long <laughs> bus journey back from Qatar. That is a long bus ride. You're quite right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. A <laughs> uh, lot to think about on that bus. Um, finally, Joe, Poland, your very specific prediction. Okay, so my VSP is that Kamel Glick is going to head the ball away at least 18 times in the group stage. So he won. He won 6.7. It is specific. So very specific. There were 6.7 aerial dual wins per game from Glick in Euro 2021. So Poland's run, he headed the ball away. He won these aerial duels 6.7 times per game. He averaged about 2.5 with his club teams over the past few years, which tells you something. The gap between almost 7 and and 2.5 tells you something about how Poland defend, right? So they sit deep, the head crosses away. That's what you should expect from this team. My theory is that Glick is going to be doing a lot of clearing out crosses in this tournament against two ball-dominant teams in Argentina and uh, in Mexico. I think Glick's ability uh, to, to deal with those balls could have a decent-sized impact on Poland's prospects and getting out of the group. So Glick is going to head the ball away at least 18 times in the group stage. All right, thank you, Joe. So if, I, if we're looking at Group C... The most, to, to me at least, it feels like the most logical finishing order would be Argentina, Mexico, Poland, Saudi Arabia. Does anyone have any movement on that? Anyone feeling any differently? No, that's that's my pick as well, Ryan. Okay, Graham, Sam, yes, agree. Retweet, Tata. Uh, Argentina, Mexico, Poland, Saudi Arabia. Yeah, the only one I could see is maybe if Poland has a truly disastrous tournament, Saudi Arabia finishing third. But yeah, I think it's Mexico and Argentina going through. See, the one for me is maybe Poland and Mexico. If Lewandowski gets hot and scores, okay. you know, four goals in three games or something, then that could flip. I think Saudi Arabia. I'm pretty comfortable saying Argentina will finish top and Saudi Arabia will finish bottom. It's the middle that you could. Don't contest. doubt the green men. Don't doubt the homebodies. I never do. <laughs> Green man. <laughs> and on that note, let's wrap up this on Group C note. preview. Taylor Rockwell, thank you very much for Green Manning your way all the way through this one. My pleasure, my friend. Thank you. El Pastelero. Gracias. Thank you, Ryan Bailey, and thank you for uh, one of the better nicknames. I'm happier with this nickname than many of the others that you've given me in the past. Oh, you're very welcome. I've been Googling it during the show. It seems like there's a kid's TV show called El Pastelero. It's like a, Even better. a pastry chef of sorts. He looks perfect for you, Graham. <laughs> Is it on Netflix? Can I watch it? Uh, Google it. It looks like it's on YouTube at the very least. Um, okay, Joe thanks. Lowry, thank you as always for your contributions. Yeah, right back at you, Ryan. <laughs> and listener, thank you for joining us on this journey. We'll be back on the feed with a preview of Group D. That's France, Australia, Denmark and Tunisia coming up next. But for now, bye! Bye!